So this, this morning I was driving in, it was really early, just coming in, getting ready for our time together. And as I was praying and thinking, is is dark outside, it was foggy and misty, which is like the worst weather ever to wake up early, you know. And I'm driving in in the dark, foggy weather, and I just had this moment, I won't say it's a spiritual vision, I just had this spiritual thought where I sensed the Lord saying, Dave, this weather is a picture of what so many of your lives are still like with the Holy Spirit. Um, when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit, there's still this kind of spiritual darkness, there's this spiritual fogginess that is weighing on a lot of you, and you're getting glimpses of who God is, but you, you still don't, and that applies to me, that applies to a lot of us probably, and I was thinking about that this morning, driving in in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of the fog, going, okay, God, what do you do about the darkness and the fog? And I just sense the Spirit saying, I, I bring the sun. And, and the way that the darkness is lifted, the way that the fog is burned off is when the sun, when, when, the, when the sun rises, the, the sun changes the darkness, the sun burns off the fog. And for the last five weeks, you know, we've, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit together. And uh, I heard one of the guys in our church say to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, Dave, I know we're talking about the Holy Spirit, but you keep talking about Jesus a lot. And I'm going, of course we keep talking about Jesus a lot because as Jesus is elevated, the spiritual darkness and fog begins to burn off the Christian heart. And all of a sudden, we begin to see what it is that, that God is inviting us into. And I really believe that God has more for you than sermon listening and song singing. That God longs for more of his spirit to infiltrate every fiber of your being so that you can live the life of Jesus Christ right here and right now. And I love this because for five weeks we've been talking about the spirit-filled life and we've said our goal of this conversation comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul says, I pray that you'd have more of the Holy Spirit so that what? You would know God better. And so we looked at Ezekiel 36 where God is talking to this group of sinners and he says, I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you my Holy Spirit. And we spent a few weeks looking at John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking to his sinful group of disciples, people just like you and I who are scared and broken and fumbling their way through the world. And Jesus says, I want to give you more of my Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're coming to Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, which are kind of like this Mount Everest of Holy Spirit theology. I mean, just this like huge, massive, glorious picture of what it means to do life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to be like abundantly clear as we get ready to open the word this morning. We're not even going to come close to scratching the surface of all that God has in Romans chapter 8. It is just so big and it is so beautiful. I have a friend right now in his church. They're spending 16 weeks on Romans 8. I go, we're going to try to tackle it in 30 minutes. And I, I go, there, there's no way we're going to cover all of this th this morning. But I want us to see this chapter because Romans 8 is not just inspirational, it is highly practical. And I believe that if we would get this conversation this morning out of the realm of just spiritual and start asking God, okay, God, what do you have to say to me right now in this time and this day? I believe that Monday morning will look radically different for you if you would believe the words that we read on Sunday morning. That something would change, that as we elevate Christ, the fog and the darkness would begin to lift off you. And so I don't know if you take notes, but I want to give you the whole sermon in one sentence as we get started. I want to give you the whole sermon in one sentence. This will kind of frame our conversation because there's so much happening in Romans 8. I want us to be able to navigate it together. This is the sermon in one sentence. That God gives his real spirit to real people who are really struggling with real sin because he really wants to help you live like Jesus. That's the sermon in one sentence. 
that God gives his real spirit to real people just like you and I who are really struggling with real sin because God really wants to help you live a life just like Jesus. And so here's the great news. If you hobbled in here this morning, if you have any shred of authenticity in you, if any of you are struggling to live for God, if any of you struggle to hear the voice of the Spirit, if any of you are struggling to live lives of holiness, great news for you. The Spirit of God is for you. And that God wants to give you his real spirit to help real people just like you in the midst of your real struggle really live a life like Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 is this like glorious gift that he lays before us. One of my best friends here at Ethos, his name is John. John uh, was in full-time ministry for almost 10 years and was just spiritually burned out for a variety of reasons. His heart was dry. His soul was just kind of withered up. And so he and his family decide, let's get out of full-time ministry. They decided to move up to Nashville get a job outside of ministry, spend some time just kind of letting his life recover a little bit. And so he was reminding me of this story earlier this week. He said, he said, Dave, I was sitting in this church here in the city, great church, godly people, love Jesus. He said, I was sitting in this church in this sea full of people. I mean, just kind of like you and I are right here right now. He said, I was sitting in this room in a sea full of people and the guy gets up in front and he said, he made this statement that absolutely shattered me in the midst of my spiritual dryness. He said, this teacher got up in front of our congregation and he said, real Christians do not burn out when they really have the Holy Spirit. He said, real Christians don't struggle. Real Christians don't burn out when they have the Holy Spirit. And John said he was sitting there in the midst of the sea of people and he said, I can still remember just the warm tears rolling down my face because he's going, oh man. I thought I was a real Christian. I thought I really had the Holy Spirit, but I am most definitely burnt out. And I am most definitely struggling. And my heart is most definitely dry. And he said he remembered sitting there in this room full of people who felt and seemed as though they had it all together. And he kept feeling more spiritually isolated, going, man, maybe I'm the only one in the room that doesn't understand what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he said he sat there, and for 45 minutes he just wept and cried Everybody leaves the service, and this older man in the room who had never met John before walked up to him, and he said, excuse me, and he put his hand on John's shoulder, and uh, he said, you know that none of that's true, right? And John said, what? <laughs> none of what's true? And he said, See, that teacher's full of it. And he said, real Christians with the real Holy Spirit really struggle. He said, it, it, you really struggle. That's not true. Real people with the, the real Holy Spirit do really struggle with real sin. And John said in, in the midst of his own failure, it was the words that his heart desperately needed to hear. That you are not alone in the midst of the struggle. And I, I want you to hear this so clearly this morning because uh, probably the, the most inauthentic place on planet earth is a Sunday morning church service. And there's this tendency to sit in here and to believe that everybody else has it all together, everyone but you. And I go, if you're a real person struggling with real sin, God's real spirit is really for you. And it is the words that he, he desperately needed to hear. I go, you know, we live in this Pinterest, Instagrammed culture, right? Where everything has taught us to capture every moment from the best angle, with the best lighting, with the best filter, so that you can project your life in a way that it's not really actually is, right? And the problem in our culture is not just your tendency to project something false, 
The problem is in our culture, we are so prone to receive something that is false. And most of us spend all of our lives comparing the worst moments of our days to the best moments of somebody else's days. And so you thought your dinner was good until you got on Instagram and you looked at somebody else's. And you thought your day with your children was great until you got on Facebook and you saw somebody else's. And you thought that your life was content until you get online and you see that another friend has gotten engaged and you're wondering, will your moment ever come? And our tendency in the midst of this Pinterest, Instagrammed culture is to compare the worst moments of our life to the best moments of somebody else's. And I love this because in Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to speak into the heart of our spiritual problem when it comes to walking with the Holy Spirit. He knows that one of the greatest barriers for spirit-filled living is inauthentic living. And a lot of us are struggling right now to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because we're not willing to live authentic lives. And Paul is going to start the conversation just like that man did for my friend John. Paul is going to open up his chest and he's going to say, if you are a real person really struggling with real sin, God's real spirit is for you. And so great news, if you do not have your life together this morning, the spirit of God is for you. And I love this. Open up to Romans chapter 7. We're not going to spend much time in this chapter, but it sets the framework, it sets the tone for the rest of our conversation this morning. We're going to start in verse 18 of Romans chapter 7, and you have the Apostle Paul who is just like this super Christian. If there was ever a super Christian, the Apostle Paul is the super Christian. He has this amazing testimony. You know, he had killed Christians, and then he becomes not only a Christian, but a church planner. Like, how epic is that? And not only does he become a church planner, he's like traveling the globe, He wrote more books in the Bible than anybody else. I'm going, if you were sitting next to the Apostle Paul this morning, like lifting your hands in worship, you're like, oh, this guy has it together. And Paul says, I want you to see what the spirit-filled life actually looks like and actually feels like. Because Paul in Romans chapter 7 is going to say, a spirit-filled life is going to feel like a real struggle. A spirit-filled life is going to feel really hard at times. And this is what he says. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, for I know... That good itself does not dwell inside of my sinful nature. For I have this desire to do what is good, but I cannot seem to carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil things that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that does it. How confusing is that? Verse 21, he says, so I find that there's this law at work. I want you to grab onto that phrase. He said, I see that there's this law at work that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law that is at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. And can you imagine this, the Apostle Paul? Like church planner extraordinaire, super Christian, most powerful testimony on planet earth. He said, man, he said, I try and I try and I try to live for God. And he says, I have this desire to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But he says, the things that I want to do, I can't seem to do them. And the very things that I'm trying to quit doing, those are the things that I keep doing over and over and over. And he gets to verse 24, and he's like, what a wretched man I am. Can you feel the spiritual fog? Can you sense the spiritual darkness just like falling down in this man's life? He's like, what do I do? 
I love the way he ends chapter seven. Jump back to verse 24 with me. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to spiritual death? I love verse 25. He says, thanks be to God, that's who. He said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, the Lord, so that I myself in my mind am a slave to God's word, but in my sinful nature am a slave to the law of sin and death. And so Paul just kind of lays this out. I won't make you raise your hands, but can any of you relate to this? Can any of you relate to this like reality going, man, I want more of God's life. I want more of God's spirit. I mean, you know, Sydney and I, we've been praying through this going, man, we really want the life of Jesus. And yet there is this thing, I'm not speaking metaphorically, like there is this thing in me. I go, despite my desire for more of God's life, I keep living the old life. I keep struggling with the same old crap. I keep doing the same old things. And I love this moment. It's like in the midst of the spiritual fog, in the midst of the spiritual darkness, Paul puts his hand on our shoulders and he says, you know that real people really struggle. And that God really wants to give his real spirit to real people who are really struggling so that you can really live the life of Jesus Christ. And all the promises about the Holy Spirit that Paul makes in Romans chapter 8 are only understood in the context of his struggle in Romans chapter 7. And so he says, this is the struggle of the Spirit-filled life. And he says, but there is great news. The Holy Spirit of God is for you. Now we're going to get into Romans 8. And I want to try to make this as simple as possible. My goal is not to impress you with what I know about Romans 8. I want to be helpful for us this morning. And so I want you to see Romans 8 kind of in two categories. Paul is going to say, here's who the Holy Spirit is. And this is what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. Here, here's who the Holy Spirit is. This is who he is. And this is his ministry into your life, the struggling believer. This is what the Holy Spirit does as you struggle to live for God. And so let's start with this idea. Who is the Holy Spirit? Jump to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 9 through 11 this morning. I just want, I want you to see this real quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about who the Spirit is because we've been doing that for five weeks now. That I want to remind us, verse 9, he says, You, however, talking to Christians who have the Spirit, he says, You, however, are not controlled by the flesh anymore by your old ways anymore, you are controlled by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. That's a really big thing. I want you to hear that. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian, okay? If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll deal with that more in the weeks to come. Keep going in verse 9 and 10. Lost my place. There we go. But if Christ is in you, verse 10 then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit will give you life because of Jesus' righteousness. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, verse 11. And if the Spirit of Him, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead, listen to this promise, will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. And so Paul says, let's make sure your minds are clear. In the midst of your struggle to live for God, I want you to see who it is that's living inside of you. It's not just that you have a new theology. It's not that you just have a new way of thinking. It's that you have a new helper, that you have new company, that you literally have the person of God himself living within your new body. I mean, this is the most mind-blowing concept. 
Shirley, that God has not just asked you to try harder to be a good Christian. Allison, that God has not just said, hey, here's a new set of rules. Hubie, it's not just that God said, hey, try, stray. And he says, listen, I want to give you all of myself to indwell your physical body. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Paul is saying. It's not that you've received something new. It's that you've received someone new. And that the Spirit of God is living within your physical body so that you can live the life of God. Do any of us understand this? Let's just, let's not fake it. Like, do any of us understand? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, this is the craziest thought ever. Some of you are not Christians and you're like, this guy is smoking pot. I go, We're not in Denver. You know, like, this is, this is, this is the word of God. This is this unbelievable truth. Is that God has not just given you new rules. He's given you a brand new relationship and that the person of God himself wants to indwell you. And I want you to remember this. Paul says the person of God wants to indwell you in the midst of your struggle. Paul has just gotten done saying, I can't live for God. I can't seem to do this. He says, yet the spirit of God is still inside of me. I want you to hear this. God has always made his home amongst broken people. God has always made his home amongst broken people. One of my favorite stories that I've been reading to my little boys right now is the story of Zacchaeus. They think it's funny because a short man climbs into a tree and they like to climb trees. And so they like climbing up in trees. They want me to read them the story of Zacchaeus. And one of my favorite parts of that story in Luke chapter 19 is there's this sinful man named Zacchaeus. He wants to get a glimpse of Jesus, so he climbs up into this tree. And Jesus cuts through the crowd. He comes to this sinful man named Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, Come down out of the tree, I must, I love his words there, Jesus' words, he says, I must stay in your house today. And everybody in the city is going, what? God wants to be in his house? And this is what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear, I believe. Is that when you're at your spiritual low, that's when the presence of God wants to indwell you. That Jesus has always been at home amongst the spiritually bankrupt. And Paul says that you've got to understand this. He says, in the midst of your struggle, the presence of God is moving into the neighborhood. God is coming into your life. God wants to do something in you. And he says, this is who you have. Romans chapter eight, he's going to talk about that a lot. He says, but I want you to notice what it is that he's doing. I want you to notice the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he moves into the neighborhood. I don't know if you, you take notes. I'm going to try to just make this so simple. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8 to the life of the believer can kind of be broken down into two really simple categories. He has a ministry of encouragement and a ministry of empowerment. Paul's going to say, who is it that you have in your life? He says, it's the person of God. And what is the person of God doing in the midst of your struggle? Over and over and over, he's going to say, he's going to encourage you and he's going to empower you to live the life that Jesus is living. So let's start with this idea of encouragement. Jump with me to verse 16 in Romans chapter 8. This is kind of the thesis of the, the Spirit's work of encouragement in the life of the believer. I want you to see this, verse 16. He says, The Holy Spirit Himself will testify with our spirit that we are God's children. So this is one of the most important verses we're going to read this morning. You've really got to hear this. You know, last week we talked about 
this idea that the Holy Spirit testifies through us for a world that needs to know Jesus. And Paul is gonna say, but I wanna remind you, it's not just that the Holy Spirit testifies through you, it's that the Holy Spirit testifies to you. Because it's not just that the world needs to be reminded of the gospel. You and I, every morning, need to be reminded of the gospel because it's in the midst of our struggles, it's in the midst of our sin, it's in the midst of our temptation that we are most tempted to believe that God has given up on us. This word to testify literally means to to make someone or something living proof, to become living proof of someone or something. And I love this. He says, how does the Holy Spirit encourage you? He says, in the midst of your struggle, the Holy Spirit is your living proof that God still loves you. That the Holy Spirit keeps preaching the gospel to your broken heart. That even in the midst of your very worst moments, God still loves you. I believed a lie for a long time. Remember, right after I became a Christian, I thought, everything gets better when you become a Christian. You get the Holy Spirit of God, surely this all gets better. And I don't know if this was any of your experiences, those of you that are Christians. I found that it got harder. I became a Christian, and I think I got worse for a season. I'm like, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Like, this is supposed to change. And, and there's just this thing that happens. Sometimes you give your life to Jesus, and yet here's the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, in the midst of your brokenness, the Spirit keeps testifying, going, you still belong to God. You're still part of the family. You're still God's kid. And all throughout Romans chapter 8, He's going to point out that this ministry of the Holy Spirit, his work of encouragement. I just want to highlight a few of these. You've got to go back and get into this this week. It's it's so rich. Jump back to verse 1. I wanted to show you some of his works of encouragement in chapter 8 here. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This is one of the ways that he testifies, one of the ways that he encourages. He says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. This is so important. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit encourages or testifies to you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin, is that you're not condemned any longer. There is a big difference between conviction and condemnation. If you've checked out with me, check back in for a moment. Okay, you've got to hear this. One of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. But the Holy Spirit will never condemn you. Conviction will lead you to life. Condemnation leads you to spiritual death and depravity. And I heard a guy say this one time. I thought it was beautiful. He's talking about this word condemnation. He said, if you want to understand condemnation, if you want to see a picture of it, he said, turn to the last page of a book. And he said, condemnation is the period behind the final word of the final sentence of a book. Condemnation is the last word. And the Holy Spirit in the midst of your brokenness does not condemn you. The Holy Spirit convicts you The Holy Spirit is the comma in the middle of the sentence, in the middle of the story where the character gets a new beginning, where the character gets a new chance, and over and over and over in the midst of your brokenness, the Holy Spirit's going, no, Jesus isn't done with you. Jesus isn't finished. So don't you dare put a period where Jesus is putting a comma. One of my favorite stories in all the scriptures is John chapter 8. This woman is caught in the act of adultery. Imagine how humiliating this would be. She's caught butt naked. She's dropped in, that's a theological word for it, butt naked. She's brought into the, the presence of Christ and everyone's saying, what do we do with her? Do we kill her? Do we condemn her? Do we put a period at the end of her life sentence? And Jesus looks at her and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he convicts her. He says, sweetie, you weren't meant to live like this. Leave this life of sin. Like, you weren't made for this. Come on, leave this. 
My favorite part of that story in John chapter 8 is he says, he says, I don't condemn you. He says, I'm not done with you. This is not the end of your story. And I love this, this work of the Holy Spirit. Like some of you are walking in unbelievable amounts of brokenness right now. You are faking your way through every Sunday as you gather. And the Holy Spirit's convicting you, saying, leave the life of sin. But you're not condemned. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Jesus has done something. This is the testifying work of the Spirit. Jump down with me to verse 14 through 16. I want you to see a few more pictures. We could, we could go all, all day on this. I love this. Verse 14, he says, Because for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you a slave to fear again. The Spirit that you received of sonship or of adoption gives you the ability to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are still God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Have you ever noticed the way that your sin not only changes the way you see yourself, it changes the way you view God? And so in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and it says for the first time they realize in the eyes of one another that there's brokenness. But the first thing they do is they hide from God because sin didn't just change the way they saw one another. Sin changed the way they saw God. And God shows up and he says, where'd you go? And they said, we were scared. He says, why were you scared? I'm your father. I love you. I think about this when my kids do something wrong and there's this tendency to run from me. And I go, man, in the midst of their brokenness, they need, they need to know more than anything that I'm still their dad, that I still love them. And I love this. He says, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, in the midst of your brokenness, the Spirit keeps crying out, you're still God's child. You still call him daddy. You, you still go, you're, you're my father. I, I love you. One of my favorite pictures in the scriptures, Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he's done the thing that he never thought he would do. And he's walking back to his father's house and he's having this little speech inside of his head. And he's saying, okay, I've sinned so much. My father could never treat me as a son. Maybe he could treat me as one of his servants. And he's walking back to the father's house and he's giving the little speech in his head in Luke chapter 15. And as soon as he sees the father, he starts making the speech and you almost can see the father putting his finger on the son's lips. He's like, shh. He's like, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm your daddy. For thousands of years, the Jewish people called God father. It wasn't until Jesus showed up that they started calling him daddy. It's the most intimate word, and it's in the midst of your deepest brokenness that the Holy Spirit says, come into the presence of God and talk to him like he's your daddy. It's in the midst of your sin. It's in the midst of the struggle. The Spirit keeps testifying. He keeps encouraging. He is your Father. Jump down to the end of Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He says, no, it's in all these things that were more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I'm convinced that neither death or life, angels or demons, present or future or any powers, height or depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit within us in the midst of the struggle keeps preaching, keeps sharing the gospel, keeps saying there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Your goodness did not give you the Holy Spirit, and your wickedness will not remove the Holy Spirit. That the love of God is displayed towards you in Jesus Christ because of the goodness of God, not because of the goodness of you. It's not until we really embrace this ministry of the Holy Spirit, this encouraging ministry in the midst of our struggle, that we really begin to see what God's trying to do. He says, who is in you? He says, it's the person of God. 
And he's encouraging you about the character of God and about who you are in relationship to God in the midst of your struggle. But it's not just the work of encouragement. It's the work of empowerment that the Holy Spirit does as well. Isn't it true that when you're at your lowest point, you need more than a cheerleader? You need a helper. Like, you don't just need somebody to cheer you on. I don't just need somebody when I'm, like, really down and out to say, Dave, you're loved. You're encouraged. You're a son of God. I'm like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But, like, when I'm broken, I need somebody to get into the mess and actually help me get out of it. I need somebody who's stronger than me in the midst of my weakness to say, here's the way to redemption. And I love this because... Paul's reminding us, he says, when you become a Christian, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not just that you receive his encouraging ministry, it's that you are empowered to start living the life of Jesus right here, right now, but it will be a struggle. And I want you to notice this. These are the last verses that we'll look at together. Jump back to verse 2 and 3. And this is going to get really complicated for a second. I'm going to try to simplify it for us. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, talking about those that have placed their faith in Jesus, no condemnation. He says, because through Christ, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, that's an interesting phrase, once you hear that, the law of the Spirit, okay, who has set you free from the law of sin and death. He says, there's no condemnation in Jesus. The law of the Spirit is setting you free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is one of the most confusing, weird passages. I never even really noticed it until this week. I went, the law of the Spirit, what's that mean? Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't want you to think about a judicial law, so don't think about a speed limit or don't think about a legal ordinance. I want you to think about a natural law for a moment. Natural laws are not something that are put in place by men. They're something that are discovered by people. And so think about the law of gravity. This is kind of a cheesy analogy, but I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? A natural law, the law of gravity, says that as long as I'm on planet Earth, gravity will always enact itself the same way on this phone every time I drop it, right? Shake your heads if this makes sense. Like elementary law of gravity. Some of you are too cool. Does this make sense? You know, kind of shake your head, okay. Every time, so whether I'm in Nashville or Hong Kong or Pulaski, Tennessee or Arkansas, God help me, gravity <laughs> will work on this phone same way natural law. Now, natural laws are never removed. Natural laws are only changed because a stronger law is put in effect. And so the reason this phone is not hitting the ground right now is not because gravity is stopping right here. It's because a stronger law is coming in contact with it, okay? And so he says, I want you to see something as a Christian. You become a Christian and you receive the Holy Spirit, and it's not that the old law of your life disappears. It's not that the old gravitational pull of your heart just goes away. It's that a new law has come into existence, and if you would listen, and if you would follow, and if you would learn, the new law of your life will bring you to Jesus. There's this, this beautiful thing that Paul is saying. He's this spirit-filled Christian man, and he says, I keep struggling. The old law of sin and death is still there. In other words, I'm still self-centered. I still feel broken. I still feel lustful. I still feel judgmental. Those things are still there. You know, Paul is just being very real. He says, it's still there. He says, but here's the beauty. The new law, the, the new natural law of the Holy Spirit that God is bringing into my life is leading me to Jesus Christ. So don't fight the old battle with your old ways. Don't fight the old law with your old ways. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, there was a time in my life 
when I had religion, but I did not have a relationship with God, when I knew the rules, but I didn't know the Lord. And he said, every time I tried to live the life of Jesus without the help of Jesus, I failed. He said, that was my old way of living. I tried to battle sin with my own discipline, with my own strength. He said, it never worked. He says, but a new law, a new thing has come into place so that I could have a brand new life. He says, well, I listen. Don't fight the old battle the old way. Some of you are Christians and you have the Holy Spirit of God inside you, but you're still fighting the old battles of the flesh the way you've always fought them. He says, there's someone new at work inside of you, empowering you to live for Jesus Christ. One of my favorite spiritual mentors, a guy named Dallas Willard, he died last year. He's just this incredible theologian. He's telling a story about when he was a young kid And he remembers the electric company coming through his neighborhood and for the first time offering electricity to the homes that were in his neighborhood. And he said there was this moment where they'd come to the houses and the majority of people in the neighborhood refused the electricity because they didn't understand what it was that was being offered. And he said, he's talking about his dad, he said, my dad was a true visionary. He said, my dad let the the good news of electricity come to our house, and all of a sudden, my family began to live a brand new way in the midst of darkness. All of our neighbors were still using candle power and ice boxes, he said, but all of a sudden, we had light bulbs, and we had refrigerators, and something was changing. He said, a new power had been made available. We refused to live the old way. And I go, this is the truth for so many of you that are Christians. You're still living off candle power. That God himself is in your life person of God, and he's not just there to encourage you, he is there to empower you so that real people with real sin in the midst of real struggle can have the real spirit to really live a life that looks like Jesus. And Paul says, will you let him in? And I was thinking about this this week, going, okay, how in the world do we bring this to the ground? How do do we understand this practically? And I just want to end with this. We're going to take communion here in just a moment. But I want to give us just a couple of application pieces for us personally and for us communally as we think about, okay, how do we walk in the power of the Spirit together? How do we walk in the midst of his ministry of encouragement and empowerment in the midst of our struggle? And so I want to start with you personally for a moment, okay? How do you let the Holy Spirit minister to you today in 2014 in downtown Nashville personally? And I just want to give you three things to think about for a moment. The first one is, do you have a religion or a relationship? Do you have a religion or relationship? I'm not asking you if you come to church. I'm not asking you how long you've been in church. I'm not asking you what your parents think or what you think or what you feel. I'm asking, do you know the living God? Have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? The spirit-filled life is only available through the person of Jesus Christ. And some of the things that some of you need to wrestle with, you just need to ask God, okay, God, do I really know you? Do, do I really have your Holy Spirit? Some of you are church attenders. You don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Great news. You can become a Christian today. We'd love to help you in that journey. You can call on the name of Jesus. You can be baptized today. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can have the Spirit of God today. But I, I want to encourage you, don't just run out of here without asking the hard question. Really ask the Lord, Am, have I been saved by Jesus? And so that's the first personal thing that I want, I want you to wrestle with. Do you have a religion or do you have a relationship with the living God? Second thing, personally, is have you made room in your life to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? So a lot of you, if you're anything like me, are so busy, your life is so convoluted, it's so distracted, it's so bogged down by so many things, the reason you're not receiving the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, either his encouragement or his empowerment, is because your ears, your heart is so full of everyone else's voices. 
Most of you, from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed, you're listening to someone's voice. You're on your phone, you're at your jobs, you're with your friends, you have the music, you have everything going on. I go, have you made space in your life for the voice of the Spirit through the Word of God, through prayer, through silence, through meditation? Have you made any time in your life to receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit? If you're giving God 10 minutes a day in the morning, you're probably not going to hear the voice of God. I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm just, it's probably the truth. Do you have a religion or relationship? Are you making space for the voice of the Holy Spirit? Number three, are you making room for the Spirit-filled community in your life? We've talked about this over and over and over the last few weeks, is that there's something powerful that happens when people come together in the context of community saying, God, what do you have for me? This isn't just about coming to church or getting in a house church. It's about opening up your life in vulnerability and authenticity so that people can speak into your life. Is there anyone in your life right now that really knows the real you? Is there anybody that knows the real struggle? I go, that's where the Holy Spirit will do his work in the context of community. So I just want to ask you, religion or relationship, are you making room for his voice or are you making room for his community? Let's think communally for just a moment, then we'll wrap up and go um, take communion together. What's this look like communally? I think as a church, I'm not giving us a sermon, I'm just trying to help us think practically. Can we just like recommit to being real in here? Can we just like recommit, like this is a a BS-free zone, like we are not gonna play the game in here. Can Can we just make the decision, like no more church faces. Let's just come in, real heart, real life. This is who we really are. Because so often, we really shut down the work of the Spirit when we try to live in our Instagram, Pinterest culture. And you got to make a choice. And you can't expect authenticity from someone else until you're willing to be authentic. And I go, so as a community, can we be a real place where real people can encounter a real God and be filled with His real Spirit? I'm not just asking you to be real, but can we be a group of people that are gathered expecting to encounter a real God? It's like this morning, we haven't come for religion. Did you come here this morning with the thought that maybe God himself has something to say to you? Do we come here with this expectation of encounter that God will do something? Because a community, can you imagine what it would be like if we got here and we started praying in the morning? God, do something. You're here. What if we were real people expecting to encounter a real God because we believed our lives could really change? It's not enough to come in here and be real and expect God to do something among us unless we really believe that God wants us to live like Jesus. Like Paul says there's a real struggle, but there's a real God who really wants to help you live like Jesus in the midst of the real struggle. I'll end with the story about my friend John. He was a... Um, he had, had his heart kind of broken in the midst of that sermon a few years ago and the man came up to him and said, hey, you know it's not real. A few weeks later, that man calls him, and uh, he said, I think I'm supposed to take you to lunch today. So they go to lunch, and he's sitting down eating lunch with this guy that he doesn't know at all, and the guy said, this is going to weird you out, but I think the, the Lord has a word for me to share with you. And he said, here's, here's the word. He says, John, you've been running from God. Your life has been busy and distracted. The Lord wants you to be still and to know that he is your God. He said, I don't know what this is going to look like, but this is what I think I'm supposed to share with you. He said, in a few weeks, God's going to wake you up in the middle of the night. You'll know that it's God waking you up. He said, I want you to, to get out of bed. I want you to find a closet in your house. I want you to cover your head and say, Lord, speak to me. 
So that's all I'm supposed to tell you. And John, from this like really conservative background, is like, what? Like, this, what? This is scary. What's going to happen? So he's laying in bed one night, 3 a.m. He, wide awake, wakes up, and he remembers Terry's words. And he thought, okay. So he sneaks out of his bed because he doesn't want his wife to know what he's doing. <laughs> he, he goes into the closet. He lays down. He puts a T-shirt on his head. And he says, God, will you speak to me? Will you tell me what you want me to hear in the midst of my spiritual dryness in the midst of my heartache, will you give me a word? And he kept waiting for God to, to say, John, why'd you quit the ministry? John, why'd you move to, John, why'd you do this? John, why are you leaving? And he said, a little while went by, and he said, for the one and only time in his life, he heard the voice of God, the audible voice of God. And it was a gentle voice that said, John, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. He said it was in the midst of the sin-filled struggle that he heard the voice of his daddy saying, I love you. And I go, what do we need as fellow strugglers? We need the voice of the Spirit to say, you belong. You're loved. I'm with you. I'm going to help you get out of this. And so this morning, we're going to take communion together. Some of you are maybe going to become Christians, and some of you need to be prayed over. Some of you need to look around this room and ask God, who are the people that need to be ministered to in this, in this place this morning? Some of you need to go pray over people and encourage people. And I go, let's do this together. Can we make a pact that we'll be a real people in the midst of real struggle with real sin, pursuing a real God who really gives us spirit so that we can really live like Jesus? Man, there is more. Let's pray together. God, I love you. I love these people. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Would you speak to us as we break the bread and as we sing these songs? Amen.